Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this special day. Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. And I woke up this morning and looked out the window. Yep, there was one. And uh, from one of the pastors, uh, pastors that I had was in Warsaw, Winona Lake, Indiana, which we've got a lot of lakes around in that area. And uh, so you get special speakers come down from here and down there and so forth, and they kind of talk back and forth. I'm not really not a fish. Anybody fishermen in here? Do a lot of fishing? And he used to say, you know, land of 10,000 lakes and two fish. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully you got a few more than that up here. But uh, look forward to the opportunity of just sharing uh, God's Word with you on this uh, special Sunday morning. Again, uh, thank you, Pastor, for inviting us for the hospitality, uh, for the opportunity. Our, our stay here is a little bit uh, quick, a little bit short, but uh, we'll come back sometime and we'll spend some time to get to know you and you get to know us a little bit more, and, and my wife, and uh, we just look forward to what God has for you here in this community to be the influence that this world so desperately needs. Uh, with the chartering of the church, that is so critical because it's the church that is God's institution, God's tool to accomplish his work in this age. That's why we call it the church age. And he's going to come back for the church. And when he comes back from the church, the end of time will begin, the tribulation, and then his millennial kingdom, because he's faithful to every detail of his word, including to Israel. Well, we don't believe in what is referred to as replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. We have been grafted in, Romans 9, 10, and 11, Israel was chosen, Israel was frozen, Israel will be then thawed out, and God was going to fulfill all of his promises in the millennium, and then guess what happens after that? Eternity for all of us. But what we do now is critical for the blessings of all eternity. What is the church to do? By divine design, the church is to evangelize the lost. A reaching out to the world with the gospel. The church is to edify the saints. Build each other up so that the ministry can be done. And if we will evangelize the lost and edify the saints, the third goal, purpose, design for the church will become a reality. And that is exalting the Lord. But... The church cannot do it on its own. In fact, looking across the landscape of the American church, there is what I have labeled a power crisis. In the big cities, New York, Chicago, when it gets to the dead center of summer, July, August, you watch the news, you hear it. There's a power crisis, and they have to decide, okay, what are we going to do? And they have the brownouts, and they have all the adjustments, and they have all the fears and all that. You know what? There is a power crisis in the church, and as we look across America, the solutions that have been sought out and tried are many, are quite diverse, and they don't work. It's not programs and procedures. 
I like your pastor. I'm not against programs. But you can't lean on programs. You can't plug a program in and say, okay, that's going to be what's the solution. Uh, different procedures. Well, if we have you know, all of these, that's not the answer. Facilities. To have a, a uh, significant, what they call, church campus. Now, we need to be doing God's work decently in order, and there are things that can be used to assist in the church, but that's not the key answer. It's not programs, procedures, facilities. Uh, what the church has done in the last two decades is embracing the world. Diluting standards and changing so that, uh, listen, the way you win people is the way you've got to keep them. And if there's no distinction between the church and the world, you know, what's there? You're just giving them more of the world. They don't need more of the world. What they need is the Lord Jesus Christ. They need the Word of God. And then you've got the charismatic movement. Let's uh, inject some human emotionism. I submit to you, based upon this book, the Word of God, that the answer to the power crisis is God and His Word. Thank God whenever he gives a task, he he gives the enablement, the empowerment. The Lord not only has given us clear instruction on what to do. We need to win the lost. We need to edify the saints. We need to exalt Christ. But he's also promised the provision and the instruction in order to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And we need to be about it and be serious until the day of the rapture when he takes the church home. His promise to provide, to guide, has two aspects, and they're both related to the Spirit of God. The distinct ministries related to the church of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the promised enablement as far as position, the positional enablement, the positional empowerment. We call that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit baptism. Now, ooh, Holy Spirit baptism, this is a Baptist church, we're going to talk about that. Hey, it's in the Bible. It's an important doctrine. We need to understand it. It's here in the foundation of the church, the first church, the church there in the book of Acts. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. We won't take time to turn there, but that's just the reference as far as the baptismal work of the Holy Spirit. It's simply this, taking a believer of this age, the church age, and placing them, baptizing. The word baptize means place into. That's literally what the word, for the purpose of identification. So to take the believer, this lost person that's now saved, dead, now alive, and positionally placing him into the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. He's the head. Now, with your body and my body, who tells the hand what to do? The head. Who tells the mouth what to say? The head. Who tells the feet where to go? The head. What a graphic picture, Pastor. 
of the local church to be a manifestation of the body of Christ, the church. He's the head, and we just do his work. And the Spirit of God places us into Christ, a technical term for believers in the New Testament, in Christ, in him. And that is accomplished one time for each individual. But there's a second aspect, dimension of this promise, not only positional enablement, but practical enablement or empowerment. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 15, verse 18, and it's referred to as the Holy Spirit filling, the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is the believer, each one of us, and incorporately as a local church, being controlled by the Spirit of God using the Word of God. See, there's the power. The power is God's. The power is supernatural. It's not man's. It's not artificial. Talking with one of the ladies between the services, as far as children, a lot of times they'll sing the song, My God is so big! And then we grow up, unfortunately. (laughs) And then, who's our God? Hey, listen. The God of the Bible, the God of the church, the God of Legacy Baptist Church is still so big. And we have to learn to lean on His power in order to do His work, His way, for His results. And that's what we want to focus on in our time together this morning in our, in our service, the, uh, the charting of a church, these realities are seen in Acts chapter 2, the the beginning of that church. And they must be understood correctly. First of all, the Holy Spirit's baptism, one time, never changing act, the time of salvation, the Holy Spirit filling, a depending upon Him. By the way, it's not automatic. It takes our submission to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. And in Acts chapter 2, take out your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The establishment of this church, the church at Jerusalem, the establishment of this church, Legacy Baptist Church here in Buffalo, Minnesota. <coughs> there is a connection because it's all his church. Now, last week on the calendar, it was what? Someone talked to me. What was last week? Easter. Easter. Resurrection. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Christ purchasing the church with his blood. That is the foundation of his building the church. Now, you need to be God's fingers and hands to build this church in this community. But I remind you, it's he that's going to build the church. So if he's going to build build a church, it behooves all of us to just recommit ourselves right here, right now, and say, we're going to do it his way, we're going to be committed to him, and it's going to be all about him. Because he's going to build this church. But he's going to use you. What a privilege. Dear friend of ours, he was a uh, friend of the family. He was a head of a, uh, at one time it was a good Baptist uh, mission agency. 
And uh, he said, just think about it. We have the privilege to be the fingers of the hand of God in the world. And I remind you, just think about it. You have the privilege to be the fingers of the hand of God in Buffalo, Minnesota. As we go back to the context here of Acts chapter 2, in the context of this season, last week Easter, on the cross Jesus said what? To telestai, which means it is finished. All paid in full. The price of sin has been paid in full, and therefore it opened a new way. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The veil being rent from top to bottom. The church, the body of Christ, to do his work. And see, in relationship to that, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit's new ministry to baptize believers into the body of Christ, the church to be empowered, the church to carry on the Lord's work, the Lord's way. We see the commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go into all the world. By the way, this church needs to fulfill that commission. You see, we're going to receive the power, Holy Spirit power, After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. I went back and I looked at the table you got back there, Pastor, and you got some missionary material. You have a missionary conference coming up. God's heart is a missionary heart. The heart of his church needs to be a missionary heart going out. And and the Great Commission, Jerusalem, that means... Right here, where you live. goes on and says, uh, in all Judea. That would be the bigger part of where we live, the United States. So you need to be sharing the gospel here. You need to be involved with those and yourselves as you travel throughout the United States. We go back to that text as far as the commission. And we have... uh, in Samaria. You know, you know what that is, I think, by way of application for the American church? Cross-cultural missionary evangelism where you live. Uh, one of the ones you have on the back there is uh, the Jews, the Israelites in Cleveland, Ohio. As you grow, you need to expand as far as cross-cultural involvement in God's Great Commission. Are you aware that not too far from here, in Detroit, Michigan, outside of the Middle East, the largest population of Muslims? What an opportunity we have. Where I live, down in Florida, we have a large area in different places of Florida of Haitians of Spanish, of Vietnamese, and then to the other most part of the world, to all those other places that are long the far foreign missions. So that, that's, the, that's the commission by way of context. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the church work begins. 
That brings us to chapter 2, verse 41. Many believe. It says, And they that gladly received the word were baptized. They believed the gospel. They were saved. They identified with the gospel. They identified with this new baby church as it's starting. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's church growth. See, church growth resulting from listening to the Bible, identifying with Christ, and leaning upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to go to all these church growth conferences and take what people have done. And now I have nothing against you know, having things that can assist us, but too often they're more than just tools. They become the answer, and we're not praying, and we're not reading the Bible. And we think if we do this and do that, we're going to be able to grow a great church. No, you just grow it the way God grew it. And you grow it the way God wants us to grow it. And what I want to look at, our focus is one verse this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued, these people that were saved, they identified with the message, they identified with the body of Christ, they were baptized into this new thing, the body of Christ, and they are, had this phenomenal beginning, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They, these individuals, the early church, continued ongoing consistency, steadfastly, serious about it, and then we have four specifics given to us. And what I would like to share with you is the four characteristics of the church that God delights in using. He used that church. I found in my own ministry, I've talked with others that have pastored not only here in the United States, but in the Ivory Coast and other places all over the world, that if we do God's work, God's way in relationship to the church, God blesses, God delights, and that's the only way to do it. And here we have four characteristics of the church that God delights in using. Continually, steadfastly, number one, look at it, number one characteristic in the Apostles' Doctrine. If you're taking notes, here's the point. They were interested in hearing what the Word of God had to say. The church that God delights in using is continually, constantly, seriously involved in the Apostles' Doctrine. Now, the Apostles' Doctrine is a phrase which identifies the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Because God used the Apostles. There's no Apostles today. I know there's churches. Probably have them in this community. The Apostolic Church. There's no Apostolic Church today. You have one set of capital A Apostles, those that were with Jesus, that Jesus sent out to launch the church. Now, all of us are small A Apostles sent out into the world with the Word of God. But you don't have Apostles. But in that day, they still had the Apostles, those that were with Jesus. And, and they were teaching and preaching. We, we read that here in Acts chapter 2 in the context previously. Preaching and teaching the scriptures. Now, the Holy Spirit never speaks, never leads apart from the word of God. That's the problem with the charismatic movement. 
So what this means as far as Legacy Baptist Church, if we're going to be a church here in this community that God's going to delight in using, you have to focus on, and I don't think it's any accident that it's first in the list of the four. That you focus on Scripture, you focus on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So what does that mean to everyone that's sitting here? What does that mean to someone that's going to join three years from now? That each one of you have to be consistent, continually steadfast. That's what the Bible says. You have to be consistent in your church attendance in order to hear the word of God. I should have asked you ahead of time. But I'll ask you now. Do you preach through books? Okay, because that's the way we taught them. See, that's the only way to preach the Bible is in the context in which God gave it. Uh, right now, I notice in the bulletin, Zechariah. Okay, have you preached through any New Testament books? Yes. So you're not just one of those Old Testament only guys? No. Okay, and since you're doing Zechariah, you're not just one of those New Testament only guys. Okay, the whole counsel of God is what the Bible says. And you need to be here, don't you? So that God can use your pastor to encourage you, to challenge you, to rebuke you, to grow you in the Bible. Now, there's going to be times when you're going to be sick. I know that. Or you're going to be going on vacation, family vacation. Will you do this? Make the effort to make sure you get caught up? Get with somebody? Uh, another thing we're going to talk about is, uh, is fellowship. It's in the text. Too many times we as 20th, now 21st century Baptists, when we have fellowships, we, we really don't know what the Bible focus is. You know what the Bible focus of fellowship is? It's God and his word. And let's say you're going to be gone for couple weeks with family vacation and then you set up the time so you get back you have fellowship with others in your church that you get together and you get caught up boy that's that's kind of new who does that or you're you're sick you're ill get with one of your family members get with somebody and get you know i'm talking about being serious about Continuing steadfastly in the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. When you need to get caught up, get caught up. Make sure you have that continuity so that God can take His Word in its context and really grow you as a believer, encourage you, guide you, have some real depth. First characteristic they were interested in hearing what the Word of God had to say. We go back to the text and we see that little word fellowship. It's an interesting word in the original language. And uh, it's a word that's common, you know, some of the words, you know, like agape, God sacrificial type love. And this is another term that sometimes we hear uh, preachers use, koinonia. It just simply means fellowship, having things in common, related to and specifically focused upon the Bible and the Word of God and God himself. You know, they will continue in fellowship. Now, here's the point, the second characteristic. They are interested in fellowship. 
They're interested in sharing and communing with each other because they have something in common. You know what you all have in common? You're in Christ. You have new life in Christ. You have a new direction. You have a new purpose. You have new goals. You want to reach your neighbors, your co-workers. Evangelize. You want to be used of God to encourage and help each of you grow up. You within your family context to beginning. Well, we need, in the churches I pastored, we focused on family too. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. See, every time you meet those doors right there, it shouldn't be, everybody's everywhere. And then we'll meet you back at the car. You know, there's times, and if you do it appropriately, but do we actually program, do we actually work on families? Worshiping together? And see, someone, when families worship, they've got times when they worship together, but when they come in, you know, they're all in the same service, but they're not all in the same row. You know, some's in the balcony, some's in the front, some's in the back. Some spends all their time in the restroom. (laughs) You know, this idea of fellowship, having that which is in common and enjoying that. Now, let me give you just a couple. Well, let's turn there. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. It really is. You have a, a Bible that has some cross-references in your own personal Bible study, you know, go to some of those. Let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and shine that light. What we're talking about here is fellowship, enjoying, communing with one another, focusing upon our relationship with God, focusing upon our submission to the Word of God. Fellowship. What's the basis of fellowship? 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The basis of fellowship is our personal relationship and experience with Christ. We all know that in so many other areas. Why don't we understand and know that in the church? On the school, we've got all sorts of students from everywhere. And if you ask most students, you know, what team do I follow? I'm from Ohio, okay, so I'm a, one of those worthless nuts. I'm a Buckeye fan. I got a young lady, Ashley Lewis. She's in my uh, preservation of the text class in seminary. She sits right in the second row there, sometimes first row. And she's an Ohio State fan, too. And we have fellowship. A black young lady and an old white guy have fellowship. Because we have something in common. Now that's temporal, that's carnal, that's worldly. It's okay as long as it's kept in its place. But what is that compared to the fellowship what we have in common with our Heavenly Father and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those ought to be the times that we look forward to. Those ought to be the times. See, fellowship is more than two guys in a ship. 
Fellowship is more than getting some hamburgers, hot dogs, potato salad together and having a church picnic. That's why at Bible Baptist Church, the church I pastored for almost 10 years as a senior pastor, every time we had fellowship, a focal point was the Word of God and prayer. Now, did we eat? Oh, yeah, we ate. We did a lot of, we had, but the highlight wasn't all of that. The highlight was our fellowshipping, our sharing around the Word of God and on our knees in prayer. You see, the basis of our fellowship is our personal experience with Christ. The joy of our fellowship. Look at it. Next verse. And these things write we unto you. Here's the purpose clause. He's reminding them of that. He's reminding himself of this, led by the Spirit of God, because here's the bottom line, that your joy may be full. The joy of our fellowship. And then we could take the time to read down through verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, the rest of the chapter, and that is the maintain, maintenance of the fellowship. In order to maintain the fellowship, have things in common, we need to keep going in the same direction, and that means we need to be walking in the light and not in darkness. We have to deal with sin in our life so that we can repair that fellowship. We're talking about the horizontal dimension of the local church as we operate within the realms of the principles of the Word of God. You know why there's no joy, why there's no power in a lot of churches across the United States? One of it is they're not continuing in fellowship. There's sin in the camp and people, they, when they get together, you know, they, they talk about all sorts of things that are superficial, that are you know, meaningless, and there's no talk about spiritual things. They're not saying, hey, what did you read in your devotions today? How can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? Uh, who have you recently had the opportunity to share the gospel with? See, the psalm for today is Psalm 37. So you go through Psalms 1 through 30, and then the next month maybe, and I'm on, you know, 37. We're not to fret of the evildoer. We're to trust. You see, by me bringing that up and just sharing it with you, you know what we just did? We just did this, what we're talking about. I, we just had a little fellowship. Don't fret the evildoer. It seems like maybe they're prospering. And then if we had more time, we could sit around and talk about a complimentary psalm, Psalm 73, Asaph, who looked around and go, God, don't you know who I am, what I'm doing? Look at the world. Hey, they're on a slip slope. See, that's fellowship. Talking about God. Talking about spiritual things. Talking about the Word of God. That's fellowship. Now, if you got a Diet Coke or a cup of coffee or an orange juice and a donut or something like that in your hand while you're doing it, that's fine. That just kind of sweetens the fellowship. But the real fellowship is what? Is with Him and His Word and us together in that realm. Maintaining, making sure that we handle sin and we handle relationships rightly. Now, by way of application, this second 
characteristic. They were interested in fellowship. Fellowship happens when believers get together and share and discuss the Word of God and the blessings of God. See, the key is the book of Acts, the New Testament, the one another dimension. And see, the one another is that the commonality. It's the Word of God and it's the person of God. Fellowship. How are you doing? How is this church doing? How is this church going to do three years from now in the area of this characteristic of a church that God delights in using as far as fellowship? Is it going to degenerate into something that's just what the world does? Or is it going to be Bible-centered and Christ-centered? Go back to the text. We have to turn back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as we continue to look at the church that God delights in using, four characteristics. The third characteristic is found in the next phrase, in breaking of bread. Now, here we have one particular aspect of worship that's used for the totality of worship. One of the times that I miss, I'm just being transparent with you, one of the times I miss the greatest from being a pastor is the times of communion, the Lord's table of breaking bread. Because we didn't have just a magical, we'd say this, and in some churches it becomes so automatic, so perfunctory that, you know, if the pastor were to have a heart attack and, you know, anybody in the church could come up and finish. I mean, because you know, we've been through it, it's just kind of, it's a meaningless ceremonial, that ceremony that a lot of times Baptists do. We always had a different focus. We had a different Bible focus. Uh, there, there's so much you can do with that. Because what it is, it is worshiping. Okay? And one aspect of worship is brought up. They, they are interested in what God has to say. They're interested and involved in each other's life. There's commonality. They have a depth of the relationship. And they are interested in worshiping God. In the breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper is special in its significance, and it's important. It is focusing upon the blessed hope. It's focusing upon God. It is worship. It is one of the two ordinances of the church. It is a memorial of his death, burial, and resurrection, and that's what the church is all about. And so looking to him, do this in remembrance of me. Till I come, the cup, the bread, the symbols, there is so much there. And it all focuses upon the Lord. And it's just one of many. It, is, it was so precious to that early church. It should be precious to us. You know, as often as you do. And, you know, a lot of times, church, well, how often should you do it? As often as you feel it's necessary. So, well, you can't do it every week because if you do it every week, then... You know, will be ritualistic like such and such, and then it will be meaningless, okay? You want to do it every week, you do it every week. I think you ought to do it more than once a year. Probably somewhere in between is probably the, the wisest, the most practical. We had it at different times in the service. Sometimes a Sunday morning service, that's all it was. That was our whole service, that was our whole focus. Sometimes we'd have it before service, sometimes after. We had it on Sunday morning, we had it Sunday night, we had it on Wednesday night. I pastored a church 
you have your Bible study in midweek on Tuesday night. Most churches do it on Wednesday. I pastored a church once. We did it on Thursday. Midweek was, you know, there's no magical time. You know, any time. But, you know, you pick out those times, and, and now we have this special time of worship. Now, all the other times we get together, the Lord is there. We need to be worshiping Him. So it's not just that time, but it's all the time. But they're interested in worship. By the way, you could label these, not only the characteristics of the church that God delights in using, they could be labeled as the characteristics or the marks of Holy Spirit filling, controlling. Let's look at the last one. Go back to the text, chapter 2, verse 42. And in prayers. The fourth characteristic, they were interested in prayers. A Legacy Baptist Church is founded and believes upon believes that this book, the Bible, is verbally, plenarily inspired. Verbally, the words. Plenary, all the words, inspired, breathed out by God. And what that means by way of application is the tenses of the verbs God gave. And whether something is singular or plural, God gave. Now look at your Bible. You have a singular or a plural. It's a plural. So what is God saying? At this church continued steadfastly. It was important. It was part of what they did as a church. They prayed. Prayers, plural. All forms of prayer. All types of prayer. All occasions of prayer. Well, this church, by way of application then, and Legacy Baptist Church, if you're going to be a church that God delights in using, is that there's got to be a whole lot of individual prayer. And there's got to be a whole lot of corporate prayer. Individual corporate, one way of looking at it. And one thing that you can take the commonality, the fellowship, and the prayer, and put those two together, you can encourage and challenge each other in your individual prayer lives. And then you can get together with each other formally, informally, and do some corporate praying. And certainly when you get together for a service, a church service, you have various aspects of prayer. Not only individuals and corporate prayer, but, you know, there are five types of prayer. It's easy to remember. You've got your hand. You've got five. What's, 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 what's the biggest and what's closest to you in the hand when you hold your hand up? Your thumb. Thanksgiving. I think the greatest sin of the 20, 21st century American church is ingratitude on the vertical and horizontal level. Shame on us. When's the last time you spent five minutes thanking God? I said, five minutes? Somebody should be able to put a timer on for five minutes and you begin to pray just thanking God and the timer goes off and you should be frustrated. Am I making any sense here? Because we have really so much to be thankful for. So our praying, thanking God. And then you have this right here. Probably the most important finger that we have. It's the pointer. It's the one that you dial the phone with. 
It's the one that you scratch with. Thanksgiving, most important, praise. Praise. Praising God. Let me give you a little thing that I use. I've taught this to various people in my church that helps out in praising. What, what do you do with praising God? Okay, there's three areas where you can think as far as praising God. Praising God for his worth. Who he is. Praising God for his word what he has said, praising God for his works, what he has done. And you just systematically go through that, and if you're serious about that, 15 minutes are gone, just like that. You're in the holy place of prayer. By the way, Hebrew says, come boldly, because there's a new way. Remember, the veil's been rent. And just praising him. Third. Intercession. Intercession. That's praying for the needs of others. And then fourth, and somewhere along the line, and and this needs to be done probably kind of here, there, and everywhere. Confession. Another aspect of prayer. Confessing our sins. If we hide Sin in our heart, God will not hear us. That's what the Bible says. So if you don't, and so at the beginning, maybe you need to deal with confession. As you're involved with prayer, God might bring to mind something and you need to just stop in your middle of your conversation and say, God, excuse me, I, I need, I've got some confession. And you deal with that so that God will continue to hear you. I remember I was a, a young pastor and we had a Saturday morning, early Saturday morning prayer meeting with the men and I'm praying with a man who's old enough to be my grandfather. And we're on our knees in the corner there. And we're about ready to pray. We've had our little Bible study, our little challenge, and, and uh, had about 10 minutes of that. And then we'd just divide up in groups of two or three and so forth. And he starts weeping. You see, when he left, he had a cross word that he said to his wife. And he came to our prayer time. And he realized that if he didn't take care of that, he could cry out to God all he wanted to from his knees for hours, and God would not hear. And as a young pastor, I thought, oh, my. How many times I had something that's just kind of so... See, we, we categorize sin. You know, we have the filthy five the dirty dozen, the nasty nine. As long as we don't do those, then the prayer lines are open. No, any sin. And as he's weeping and confessing before God, I said, God, help me to remember to keep short accounts and to take sin seriously because I want you to hear my prayer. And then I caught myself for a moment and says, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's focused on me. I need you to hear my prayers. I say, well, that still focuses on you. Well, yeah, I need him to hear my prayers. But I need to know that he's hearing when I'm thanking him. 
I need to know that he's hearing when I'm praising him. I need to know that when I'm praying for a dear friend or a family member, that he's hearing me. Continued in prayers, thanksgiving, praise, intercession, confession. Uh, baby finger, I left that till last. What's that? That's your own petitions, your own requests. Let me, let, me, let me share something with you. You really know you're praying, you really know you're serious when you've got some kind of a time frame where you can only pray for maybe a half hour, maybe pray for an hour, or ten minutes, okay? You've got a time frame because you... And sometimes we have those things in our life, okay? Make sure you take time to get aside where you don't have any time frame so you can just pray. But you've got a time frame and you're praying and you're praying and praying and... and and you're really praying, you're really taking prayer serious and the prayer perspective of the Bible serious when in a time-framed, constrained prayer time, you, get, you don't have enough time to pray for your wants, for yourself, for your petitions. Now you know that you have really done some praying. Is this registering? The importance of prayer, the types of prayer... And making sure our focus in prayer, because gimme, gimme. We think God is some kind of genie in, you know, we, please give me, please give me, please give me. A lot of times in the American church, that's what, that's what our concept of prayer is. And that's sad. That's not Holy Spirit controlled prayer. That's selfish prayer. That's worldly prayer. That's carnal prayer. Now, do you need to pray for those things? Yes. Do you need to pray for some of the things that you want? Yes. But keep it all in perspective. Prayers. Four marks of a spirit-filled church. Four characteristics of a church that delights, that God delights in using. A church that is in the Word of God, continuing in the Apostles' Doctrine, Growing. People who continue in fellowship, the people of God, there's a caring. Third characteristic, the person of God is centermost, worshiping. And then the power of God, depending, prayer. Now, I want to close our time with just a real quick walk through the rest of this chapter. Because after chapter 2, verse 42, the four characteristics of the church that God delights in using, it gives us a sample grocery list. It's not total, but it's a sample grocery list of the results of the fruit of a church that God delights in using. When you are interested in the Word of God, when you are interested in fellowship, when you are interested in worship, when you are interested in prayer, what happens? Well, look what happened here. Look at it. I'll read through the passage and then we'll just highlight. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. 
This is the fruit. This is the result of this Holy Spirit-filled church, of this church that God delights in using. Things were happening and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here's the results of God's church who he delights in using. First of all, fear upon every soul. There was respect for God. In this community, if you will be a spirit-filled church, you will be interested in the Word of God. You'll be interested in worshiping. You'll be interested in fellowship. Prayer is a vital part of this church. This community will respect God because of your testimony. We could just stop here, Pastor, and that would be great, wouldn't it? It goes on. Many wonders and signs. Now, this is the transition period, the beginning of the church, and the apostles were doing miracles and signs and wonders, number one, to authenticate them as God's messenger and to authenticate the message of God. That had ceased. But the principle still applies as far as the fruit, and it's this. God does something for the leaders of the church. Do you want God to do something special in and through this man here, your pastor? You've got to be interested in the Word of God. You've got to be interested in fellowship. You've got to be interested in worship. You've got to be interested in prayer. And when you do that, God will use your pastor. God will do something amazing for him. Now, he's not going to raise the dead. He's not going to make the, uh, the, uh, the lame to jump. He's not going to make the leper clean. Those were sign gifts for that period of time. But what, by way of extension, I still believe that we have the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he uses his men as the churches that they pastor are serious about spiritual things. And then together, all things in common. There'll be a sharing, common needs, meeting needs, unity of heart. That's another fruit, another result. They sold and they parted their possessions and their goods. They were generous. I thank the Lord. Two of the churches in particular that I pastored were amazingly generous churches because they were serious about being what God wanted them to do and having a biblical focus. One accord. Another result. It's right there, right in the middle of the list. You know what that is? Y'all drive in Hondas. No, 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 no. A unity of mind and purpose and direction. So you put God's people together with God's power and they have a unity. Listen, you will turn this community upside down, inside out for the cause of Christ. Now you might not see it all outwardly when you get to heaven. The curtains would pull back. You go, mercy days, look what God did. Only through churches that he delights in using that are serious about these things that we've looked at. Uh, Gladness and singleness of heart. There is a contentment. You don't have individuals within the church grabbing for power, grabbing for prestige, grabbing for position. Because that's not all about it. It's all about 
him. And we're glad. And we work together. We have this contentment. With the singleness of heart. We have one purpose. It's Jesus Christ. And then praising God. Thankful worshipers. I hope you to leave this place and as you're going home or as you have your quiet time maybe in the afternoon or reflection in the evening before you go to bed, you, you say, you know, it was good to worship with God's people today. Today was a good day. That's what happens. And then favor with all to have a good testimony. And then the last of the list, and it's not the last, the least. It's the last in the list, but possibly the most important. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People get saved. The church God delights in using is a Holy Spirit-filled church that is interested in the teaching and preaching of the Word of God that's interested in fellowship, real fellowship, Bible-based, God-centered communion and fellowship. A church that just is so excited about the opportunities to worship. And then a church that spends a lot of time on its knees, all types of prayers. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We're to be filled, we're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. As individuals, yes, but as a church together, yes. You see, it's abnormal for a believer, it's abnormal for a local church not to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about getting more of the Holy Spirit. The time you're saved, you have all the Holy Spirit. The question is, how much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you? How much of this church does the Holy Spirit have? Significant influence and power. See, the solution to the power drain in the church, in individuals, is that we just need to get into the Bible, get into the Holy Spirit, and be doing God's work God's way. And then looking around, and you know what? You'll see some of those fruits. Some of those. Now, in season. In in timing. But you just got to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. Be patient. Our God's a good God. Our God's a powerful God. Our God is a God who delights in using a church. that steadfastly, constantly, consistently, continually is involved in the preaching and teaching of this book, in the fellowship and enjoying each other within the body of Christ, of worshiping him, and then our knees in prayer. It's my prayer that this church, like no other church in this community, God uses 
because you're serious about being the church that God wants you to be. Our Father.